You know, as we were just singing uh, that song just a minute ago, these words that kind of resonated with me, wherever you lead me, whatever it costs me. Man, do we really believe that? Do we believe those words? Wherever you lead me, whatever it costs me. We're in the middle of a series called Table Talk, and uh, the best way I can kind of wrap it up or describe it is we're talking about real things with real people, and uh, man, it's real talk. I'm just going to tell you, I don't know if you guys were here last week for what we talked about, but it is real talk. And that's kind of one thing that the table is always good for. It's good for eating, but it's also a great place for real talk. And uh, as, a, as a church, we have the privilege uh, to talk about real things. And, you know, as you think about this morning, you know, and this is hopefully where you were last week and hopefully where you'll be this morning, we're just asking you to come open-handed, open-eared, and open-hearted to what God has for us this morning. You see, Pleasant City Church has the privilege this morning to to come together with an organization, a ministry called One More, One Less Project, led by Jeff and Mandy Marburger, and it specializes in foster care ministry. And for some of you, you know, you've already said or you've thought to yourself, well, we've done the whole foster care thing. You remember the backpack thing that we had last year? And we've done different events like that. And so we're doing a good job with that as a church. And, and I just want to encourage you to think about this. I don't think that PCC needs another event about foster ministry. We need a change in our culture as a church. And so this morning, we're coming with open hands and open hearts to really talk about the idea of not moving from a place of hosting to a place of partnership, a place where we don't just hear a good talk on a Sunday morning and give it a golf clap and go home unchanged, but where God can use this issue, this real thing that we're talking about this morning to maybe do something in our hearts and in our minds. And so I want to encourage you guys this morning, just be open-hearted and open-eared and open hands with what God has for us this morning. You know, this morning we do have Jeff and Mandy, and uh, we actually, this last week, we had the marriage conference, had the opportunity to sit with them at the table, and uh, Crystal and I just had a chance to just really just, uh, just share with them what God Uh, how God has used them in our lives. And I can't, you know, we talk about this a lot. I think Gary actually says this, that, you know, people can impress you from a distance, but when you get up close to them, those people that are real, man, they impact you. And man, Jeff and Mandy, watching their their story and their testimony and how God has been faithful to them through what God has called them to, man, it has impacted me personally. So I want to encourage you guys this morning. Can we give Jeff a hand as he comes on up and brings the word? Absolutely. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. There you go. That's a little bit better. Uh, So thankful um, just to be with you guys this morning. It's uh, such a humbling experience. Um, I was just praying this morning and thinking back about all that Pleasant City has meant to me in my life and just how uh, 13 years ago on this stage, uh, you guys sending us out as the youth pastor at a new church plant called uh, Element Church and just how God has so woven my story together through uh, Pleasant City Church. And so I'm just thankful 
uh, so much for each and every one of you. And that's my prayer. As I, whenever I communicate God's word, as my prayer is that I would love the people that I'm speaking to. And so I pray that, uh, that my love for you this morning, as weird as that may sound, would, would show through on how I, how I speak and the words I say. And I pray that you um, would be impacted by God's word and not by Jeff and Mandy Marburger or one more, one less project. And so for those of you that I have never met, just want to share with you guys a, a, a picture here of my family. And this was taken about uh, four or five months ago. And uh, that's me on the left there. And uh, that's my wife on the right. And then the, the little boy in, in the ball cap is my biological son. He's eight years old. And then uh, the one in the middle there is our little scarlet faith Frisbee, who is uh, almost officially a Marburger. And then uh, Isaiah here is the child in my left hand. And he is officially a Marburger. He's been with us since he was five days old. And he is four now, uh, almost five in our bundle of energy. And then uh, the, the little boy that my wife is holding, his name is Luke. And he is no longer in foster care. He got reunified with his dad um, last September. Um, and we had had him for a couple of years. And that was a, a really difficult situation. But God's woven his grace in and through it so beautifully. And then in my right hand, there is a, a Cameron. And he was also two. And we had him for about uh, four months, something like that, give or take a few. And so that is our family there. And as you can see, we have our arms full and our hearts full. And uh, that's one of the things that I always try to communicate to people is that obedience, even though it's hard, it always leads to joy. And there's joy and obedience to Christ. And I see a lot of head nods and, and a lot of the head nods are from people that have experienced a lot of life. And so the direction of your life right now, 15, 20, 25, 30, 40, however old you are, the direction of your life will be clearly defined by obedience or disobedience to Christ. And the people that are obedient to Christ for a long time usually end their life with a smile on their face. And the people that are disobedient to Christ for a very long time usually end up bitter and hardened, a hardened heart. And so I want us to all consider this this morning. And this is not, uh, Jonathan and I have met several times and Chris, our one more, one less project director, have met several times. And this is not simply a message of, we want you to foster kids. That is our hearts. That's what we feel called to. Uh, but my heart as a, a pastor's heart is, is that you would all find the area of where you have been called to obedience and you would run after it with all that you have. A Scottish, a Scottish theologian named Henry Scougal said when he was 27 years old, he said, the worth and the excellency of the soul are measured by the object of its love. The worth and the excellency of the soul can be measured by the object of its love. And so the first part of this message, I would love it if you would just inspect your own heart and what defines the object of your love? Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your energy? Where do you spend your finances? What is the object of your love? And so if you wouldn't mind standing with me in honor of reading God's word, we're gonna be in Romans eight this morning and I like the ESV version and so that's what's gonna be on the screen. But Romans eight, 12 through 18 
And I'll never forget Chuck Helmus in the old uh, 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 sanctuary over there uh, reciting Romans 8. Uh, I was probably 17, but I'll never forget it. He recited the whole chapter, and this chapter is, contains some of the, the most beautiful thoughts in all of Christianity. And verse 15 is my favorite verse in Scripture. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the present suffering, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that is to be revealed to us. You may be seated. If you would pray with me one more time. Heavenly Father, I lift you up this morning. I put you on a pedestal in my heart, Father. I just pray right now as we share God's word, as we, we look into it, Father, that lives would be changed, that it wouldn't be a demonstration of wise or persuasive words, but a demonstration of your spirit by which lives are changed, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, Lord. I thank you so much for Pleasant City Church. And Jesus, when I, I thank you for Pleasant City Church, I thank you for the people that make up Pleasant City Church. Jesus, I pray that lives would be impacted this morning. I pray that people would leave here with a, a, an emotional challenge, Father, but, but not a challenge that's void of steadfastness, Lord. Because we know that emotion only takes us so far, Jesus. We love you, Father. It's in your beautiful and precious name we pray. Amen. So I want the first part of this message uh, to be a, a time when every single person in this room evaluates whether they are a son or a daughter of the Most High. And so that's the first point. It's very simple. I have two questions this morning. Are you a son or are you a slave? Are you a son or are you a slave? That's what it, it talks about here in Romans 8. And, and this is one of uh, my, my heart's cry in, in North American Christian culture is that Paul, when you read scripture, is very clear that there are either sons of Christ or there are slaves of the flesh. The sons of Christ go to heaven. The slaves of the flesh die and spend eternity away from him. And I want us to clarify that in our minds. I pray that that creates a soberness. It's not a condemnation, but it is a conviction that there will be people in your circle of influence who if they don't profess Jesus Christ as Lord, they will spend eternity in hell. And that's not because Jeff Marburger said so. That's because Jesus said so. 
And so I want us to look at verse 14. I want us just to look at this statement of fact. And then I I asked myself several questions this week because it says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's a very, very factual statement, right? For all who are sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. And I thought to myself, if I were to line up everyone in this room and I were to ask you guys, what does being led by the Spirit look like? there would probably be a lot of different answers, right? Well, the Spirit led me to to buy that house over there or the Spirit led me to to move to Shelby, North Carolina or the Spirit led me to to, to go talk to that person and all of those are very real and all of those are very uh, true. But I want us to evaluate what Scripture says about how we can tell if we are led by the Spirit. And because just like my, my little Isaiah there, he's a Marburger, And we just had somebody at his school at Jefferson say, hey, he's a different color than you are. And I said, yeah, he he is. He's not from my wife's tummy. But you know what? Every single day, Isaiah gets to be a little bit more like a Marburger. You know why Isaiah loves ranch on his pizza? Because his daddy loves ranch on his pizza. You know why Isaiah goes around singing the greatest showman and knows every word? Because his brother and his sister love the greatest showman and know every word. You know why Isaiah loves to try to quote the book of Philippians? Because his older brother loves to quote the book of Philippians. You know why Isaiah loves to put on deodorant? (laughs) Because his daddy puts on deodorant, even though it might not look like it. You know why Isaiah loves to run around in his underwear? Because his dad loves to run. I'm just kidding. His brother loves to run around in his underwear. And Isaiah, just as we as Christians, more and more every day should should be becoming more like Christ, Isaiah is becoming more and more like his earthly family. And so the first indicator of somebody who is a son or a daughter of the Most High, I see there in verse 13. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What's your attitude towards sin this morning, Pleasant City Church? Are you comfortable with it? Or is it something that breaks your heart? Because you know it breaks the heart of the Father. And in our house, we call these heart reflexes. What's your attitude when somebody cuts you off in traffic? What comes out? What's your attitude when a drink is spilled on the floor? What's your attitude when that coworker gets the promotion that you deserved? Are you becoming more and more like Jesus or are you becoming more and more like the flesh? So verse 13 How is your attitude towards sin? A great indicator of your attitude towards sin is that you tend to hate your sin more than you hate the sin of others. And I think this is a a huge thing to think about because for me, that's, that's, uh, and I I say I'm not judgmental, but obviously I am a little bit judgmental because I look at other people's sins and I say, man, how do they keep struggling with that? Why are they still struggling with that after all of these years? Instead of looking inward and saying, Jeff, why do you still struggle with that? 
Are you introspective or do you inspect other people's lives? Because when you compare yourself with others, it creates pride or insecurity. But when you compare yourself with Jesus, it creates humility. If you compare yourself with somebody else, usually there's somebody that's a little better looking than you, right? Usually somebody in a little bit better shape than you. Usually somebody a little bit more intelligent than you. And then on the flip side of that coin is there's usually somebody that's a little more insecure than you, a little less attractive than you are, a little worse at that sport than you are. And so it creates pride. But when you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, it creates a humility in your spirit. And then verse 15 is the second indicator of if you are led by the Spirit. So that first indicator, do you put to death the sins of the flesh? And then the second indicator I see here in verse 15, one of my favorite verses in all Scripture. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Are you dependent on God as your father? That's the second indicator of being led by the spirit. Do you see Jesus as a father? And I love this term he uses here. It's Abba, father, and it's, it's two different languages. And immediately in Bible times, that would have evoked the emotion of what happens in Mark 14, 36, when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. And this is the only other time other than Galatians in the New Testament, when these two words are coupled together. And Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying that the Lord would allow the cup to pass from him and he wouldn't have to die on the cross, a sinner's death. And he says, Abba, Father. Jesus is crying out to his father and saying, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, please make it so. And then Paul's telling us here in Romans that that's the same verbiage that we can use when we go to the creator of the universe if we're sons and daughters and we can call him Abba, Papa. I love the way Matthew Henry puts it. He says, it's a believing stress. How many of you have had toddlers and you see and they fall and, and cut their knee and they come running up to you and there's no utterance that they can say other than daddy, daddy. Is that your heart towards Jesus this morning? Are you dependent on him or are you dependent on your wallet? Are you dependent on him or are you dependent on that job that you have? Are you dependent on him as a father or are you dependent on that relationship that you have? Dependency often creates vision in my heart and mind. When I'm dependent on Jesus there's a, there's a different way of thinking. There's a different value that I have with what means a lot to me. And so I pray that those two indicators are indicators of you as a son or a daughter of the Most High. That you hate your sin and that you run to Jesus in dependency as a father and see yourself as a toddler in front of God. Because Romans 5, 8 says that while you were still sinner, while you were at your worst, while you were the teenage orphan that nobody wanted, Christ died for you. The second point here is that are you 
Is he Lord of your life or less? Understanding this, I believe, is when I truly got saved. Is he Lord of your life or is he less? Because up until I was about 19, I always thought Lord Jesus Christ was just his name. That's just who God is. But then it was through one of my, one of my uh, uh, John studies through Liberty University, I realized that, that Lord is a title. And that Romans 10, 9 became so much more clear to me. That, but, but if you confess Jesus as Lord of your life, that now he is in control, that now he is at front and center, that now you are truly saved. I have this picture up on uh, the screen here. It's of a children's Bible. And I love to use Isaiah's illustrations because he gives me a lot of different examples to use illustrations of. But Isaiah, we, we read a, a children's Bible. This is his children's Bible. Each of the kids have uh, a different Bible that they use, but this is his and he brought it up to me and he's four, remember, and he has no idea how to read. And it was late one night and I was tired and I was, I was wanting to, uh, to, to read the story, to kind of check it off the list, as bad as that may sound. But he said, no, daddy, I can read. I'll do it. I'll read it tonight. And so he looks at the pictures and in his little four-year-old mind, soon just, he begins to try to best describe these pictures. And he doesn't remember the stories. And so in this picture on the left, as some of you guys might know, it's the Tower of Babel, which God was not happy with. He, he destroyed the people's language because of it. But Isaiah clearly depicts this picture as a, a tower that Jesus built. And this is how he's reading the story to me. And then on the picture on the right, it's Abraham and Sarah and Isaiah said, and that's Jesus and his wife. <laughs> and he's using his little four-year-old mind to not be dependent on his dad. To not be dependent on the idea that he has no idea how to read. That he has no idea in his life what's going to glorify God as father. And I thought to myself, and I... I I sat back after we had finished reading and I thought, man, I do that so often in my life. You know, God, you can be Lord of this area of my life. But over here, when it comes to, uh, to, to this area, to the finances, to the, to the family aspect, I've got that under control. Lord, you can have control of this relationship, but this boyfriend or girlfriend over here, this is, this is mine. And Jesus becomes simply a uh, magic genie that we, that we pray for things and wish for things instead of the Lord of our lives. I want to share with you a letter that I wrote my spouse, my wife, a couple years ago. And because throughout this whole process of foster care and adoption, uh, uh, God weaves things in your life so clearly, but us as men, or me as men, a man, I'll speak for myself, uh, just don't get it, don't understand it. 
And so I just wanna share this with you guys as a little bit of an insight into, into my life as to how God has used my spouse in my life when it comes to foster care and adoption. Because some of you in here have had this conversation before and you're not on the same page, right? Sometimes it's the husband, sometimes it's the wife that says, hey, I would love to, to foster a child. I would love to, to, to save one of these children from a, a life of not knowing Christ. And so I'm just gonna read this to you. And I wrote this, I think it was three years ago. Dear Mandy, through my adult life, you have been my companion. In retrospect, Jesus knew exactly what I needed as a partner in marriage. A determined, passionate, certainly at times stubborn woman with a heart for children the size of an ocean. It was one of the first things that made me fall in love with you. I never knew fostering and adoption would be a road we would travel together. And you were clearly the protagonist in that pursuit as we tried starting a family together. After our years of unsuccessful attempts at having biological children, you sought out classes for adoption through DSS. While I did not oppose, I certainly would not have pursued this route without your initiative. And while I did go, my heart was still not all in. Through God's blessing us on the final week of our adoption classes with finding out you were pregnant with Beckett, he gave us the desires of our heart with a biological son. Oh, but so much more than this. I realized that adoption certainly wasn't God's backup plan to raise godly men and women. God in his perfect timing knew exactly what I needed to open my eyes to fostering an adoption. How great a way to make his name more famous. You will never know how much more clearly I see my relationship as a son of Jesus because of the picture I have of Isaiah. We chose him, we love him, and he will always be our son. Nothing can change that. There's a certain level of anxiety that comes with fostering and adopting through social services, but I found solace in the fact that God has called us to it and that he loves these children way more than I ever could. I pray that we have the opportunity to see all our children grow up to make Jesus' name more famous. Thank you for allowing God to use you gently and persuasively to push our family towards the fatherless. If God sees fit for us to have daughters in our house for a long period of time, I'm confident that they will see Jesus in you as a mother and a wife. I love you dearly. Thank you for allowing the Holy Spirit to use you to awaken the passions for fostering and adopting in my heart and mind. There is no one I would want to be on this journey with other than you. And I share that letter with you twofold. One, to tell you how great my wife is. And two, that as a spouse that has a desire to foster or adopt and maybe another spouse that doesn't, to wait for God to move. Don't be the Holy Spirit in your spouse's life. Wait, pray, be patient, but never give up hope. Is Jesus the Lord of your life or is he less?
I want us to watch a little video and then my wife and Jonathan are gonna come up on stage and we're gonna do a little question and answer just about some practical things with foster care and adoption. But I want you to watch this video as you consider, is Jesus the Lord of your life? And if right now stirring in your spirit, there is this desire to, to, to foster or adopt one of the 11,000 kids in foster care in North Carolina, then I want you to be open to that. I don't want you to squelch the spirit right now. And so watch this video with us. The idea that these kids need an advocate. You know, a lot of them are, are infants and babies and toddlers and kids is, and they don't have a voice. They don't have that protection. You know, when you go home at night and you kiss your kids goodnight and you pray with them and you know you do all this stuff for them, they're security, so they have that security, they have that love, and every child should have that. But sadly, there are far too many children that don't. And I can't go to bed at night and kiss my kids and, and know that I could do this for a child that never gets this, that never gets physical contact or love, and I'm not doing it, then, then there's a problem. So, you know, it, it, it's definitely something that um, I think people really need to pray about and consider. Um, but I think if you call yourself a Christian, we're all called. Mm. You know, it's just taking that little thing and believing to God. Wow, that was uh, an amazing message. I know you only had a few minutes to preach it, but man, what an incredible word uh, from the Lord. And, you know, we're talking a lot about this one more, one less, and you've got people in the room that really are trying to think through this and process what they're hearing, uh, really from both perspectives. And I want to just take a minute. This is Mandy Marburger. This is Jeff's better half. And uh, a lot of the back work that goes on in the home is, uh, is because of you, Mandy. So thank you for joining us up here. Um, but, you know, the whole idea of just what we're processing. And, you know, do you have that picture, Sarah, of the, uh, their family? I wanted to put that up on the screen for a second. Okay, so Jeff, how do you and Mandy, how do you guys get from where you are now your, your viewpoint from, or excuse me, where you were, just you two, your viewpoint of foster care and adoption. How do you go from this place to that right there? Like, where, how does that start? Yeah, and so in the letter to Mandy that uh, the start was building a family. And I think that was uh, uh, definitely our hearts in the beginning is uh, we, we both worked at the YMCA. We both loved kids. We both knew that when we got married, we wanted to have kids. And, uh, and the, the Lord didn't have the, the biological route in uh, his timing at that point. Mm. And so I think that uh, that difference now um, from where two, three kids maybe to, to four or five, uh, the, the craziness of foster care and adoption, I think that changed for me, and I'll let Mandy speak into this too, but it changed from no longer were we trying to build a family uh, now we were trying to provide a family for kids that didn't have a family. Mm. And so I think that was uh, one of our big hearts as we started in this journey um, to where it progressed, to where, um, you know, every call that comes in. And we always talk about my uncle's here and he's adopted kids. And it, it becomes somewhat of almost impossible to turn kids down um, when mm. you get the call that says, hey, this child needs a home. Well, I've got a home, you know. I'll let Mandy speak into that too. Hello. Okay. Um, yeah, I agree with, with what you said. I mean, 
staff first started this, when we first started this whole foster care journey, I think it was just selfishly, like, I had this desire to be a mom, and it wasn't happening the way that I wanted it to, or the way I thought it was supposed to, and so that was just kind of like, oh, we'll just go down this route, and I think the Lord has really taught us that it's not about us at all, you know, it's about these kids, and they just don't have families, and so we were able to provide that, and it's just really taught us to just depend on the Lord for strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think to that, just there's that big difference is are we put here uh, to enhance mm-hmm. our life or are we put here to enhance the life of others? And as Christians, we're mm. called to enhance the life of others. And this was the way that God had called us to do that. Mm. You know, you were talking in your message, you kind of, you, 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 you really were talking around the idea of sanctification. Mm-hmm. And really even what you said, I love what you said about Isaiah that, Day by day, he's becoming more and more like a Marburger. And really, that whole idea of that's kind of what we're doing. Day by day, we're becoming more like Christ. And so how does this work in, in, when it comes to foster care and adoption? How has God used that in your life as a sanctification process in your life? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, I mean, I've never felt closer to the Lord than when I'm taking kids into my I don't really know how to answer that specifically, but God has just grown me so much through this process, and um, I just feel feel so much closer to the Lord than I did five years ago when I had no kids, you know? Now I have a house full that I feel like my house is a revolving door sometimes, and sometimes that's really hard um, because there is still that desire for you know, biological kids, if I'm being honest, but, you know, God has called us down this path, and I think that he is sanctifying us in that process. Mm, No doubt, and I think that, uh, and I alluded to a little bit about it at the very beginning, but just that uh, obedience leads to joy and that uh, a whole idea of uh, Christian hedonism I got introduced to it when I was in college but that was uh, for me it was outside of my salvation it was the biggest change in my spiritual walk that 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 God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him mm. and just how that plays out in the dependence of foster care because you mm. truly it forces you to be dependent on something bigger than yourself and mm. I love the that vision statement that it's carried into Pleasant City, but it used to be Putnam's, but that uh, we're growing to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Mm. And, and I think that's for a lot of people in uh, the, the church is there's uh, just a, a desire for comfort rather than desire for obedience. And that's mm. not a condemning statement because the joy is in the obedience. Mm. And that was uh, where foster care has really become a sanctifying process is because there's a true dependence that it takes to 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 be a foster parent because when kids leave your home Mm. there it's such a gosh how could that situation be better than what they're leaving in our home where they get to know about Christ. And that's not to say we have the perfect home by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Mandy would attest to that. But there's there's that desire to control things. Mm. And, and we think we can control kids, which is probably a misconception that I'll realize here in the next 10 years. But uh, <laughs> when, you, when you get to advise them, when you get to, to guide them through life, when they're in your home and up close, and then that's just vanished because of a court decision, uh, you realize these hands don't control anything. Mm. 
Yeah, you definitely realize that God is sovereign mm. and that you have to trust that. And mm. I think we read that and we see that all throughout Scripture, but really, really believing it and really acting it out in our life is a whole different story. Mm. And I think that God has placed these opportunities in our path to really sanctify us in that process of even just believing that he is sovereign and that he's going to take care of these kids if we can't or if other people can't like he's gonna he's sovereign he's gonna provide let me go ahead please one more thing james yeah we're going back and forth now but james 127 i think it it truly became uh, real life for us too you know that 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 pure religion true religion is to look after the orphan and the widow in their distress. And that look after has such salvation undertones to it if you study it in the original language. And it's beautiful to see that, uh, that you're being the hands and feet of Christ mm. and that that is truly what God's called mm. us to. And it's, that's one of the areas where our team with One More, One Less Project has really struggled because, uh, not struggled, but just processed how do we, how do we come alongside a church and truly evoke these emotions that this is not a option. This is a command to say, hey, true religion is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress. And so often uh, we just get distracted with the urgent mm. and, it, and life, life just kind of slips by and we, we don't think outside our circle of, of the, the different kids in foster care that are Mm. literally living, like there's 11 kids in Cleveland County right now alone that are up for adoption that don't have an adoptive home. And so they're just still in the system. And so that's just one of those things that has truly, um, again, goes, all goes back to obedience. When you're obedience, when you're obedient, you realize that, that, uh, that you're becoming more like Christ, even though it's hard. I know we're going to talk in just a minute about how to get involved, but before we do, we don't have a lot of time for this question, but, you know, we're in the 930 gathering, and uh, a lot of the 930 gathering is made up of empty nesters, senior adults, there's several in the room. You know, it's that whole idea of what would you say to that older crowd? How can they invest and be a part of this ministry? How can they invest and be a part of foster foster care ministry? Um, I think that there's a lot that you can do. Guardian of Item volunteer, which is just a voice for a child in court. There's lots of kids who can't speak for themselves in court, and so that would be what you would do. It's just a volunteer role for you to go and speak for that child in court. You can provide a meal for a foster family, babysit. I mean, there's definitely come talk to us. We'll find we'll find a place for you. Yeah, and uh, did you want to say something there? I'm sorry. No, I'm cutting you. Um, you know, a lot of families, I, I know the pushback sometimes is, okay, well, I'm, I'm barely, I'm barely making it with my, with my biological family, you know, like how do I bring in a child that's not a biological child? Like, what does that look like? And you guys have dealt with this, right? So what does that look like? How does, how has this affected your biological children um, in that process? And I think that's one of the, the biggest things that we hear through this whole process is, uh, well, how are our biological children going to be affected? Do they, uh, you know, are they going to be influenced by this older child that has uh, lived this totally polar opposite life of, of how my children have lived? And I'm, am I exposing them and, and going to cause harm to them? And, and what we have really seen in our biological son, who's, who's only eight, um, but 
truly, every time we get a call, we talk to him about it. Not that he makes the decisions, but that he is a, a partner in ministry with us at this point. Mm-hmm. Is that he truly is, is becoming more like Christ because this is the avenue with which our family serves in. And so he's going to serve in that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a beautiful picture of discipleship. And it's not that we are um, uh, oblivious to the fact that he's, when, when our, our foster daughter, who's been exposed to way more than any six-year-old should ever be exposed to, uh, but he's processing that and he's uh, speaking love into that situation and he's becoming that disciple of Christ at a young age um, to where the sanctification is He's kind of being dragged along with us, which mm. isn't, isn't a bad thing um, yeah. in, in our hearts and minds. And there's definitely that, uh, always that, that fear of that control again, that, hey, we, we want to keep him as close as we can and raise him the way we know best and not have those outside influences. Um, but if, if God's called you to it, he's going to equip those, those different things. Mm. And we've just got a, uh, our team here at uh, Pleasant City Church is going to come up with us, and Mandy's going to kind of give an illustration of what this looks like and how this fleshes out um, with our biological family. So if you guys want to go ahead and come on up, uh, Connie and Daryl and uh, Daniel and Haley, and Mandy's going to kind of align them. So if y'all are on just getting in like a circle... This is the real test. This Can they put a circle hard together? Because I know you guys are not actually like family, but <laughs> your church prayer, family, your brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> I'm hoping that well, you're probably going to fall into one of these three categories that I'm getting ready to explain. So this is the first one, guys. I want you just to put your arms around each other. I want you to get as close as you possibly can. So this is maybe this is your family. You love each other so much. You hold each other so tightly. You would do anything for each other. You love and support each other. Okay? Now I want you guys to just hold hands in a circle. Now, we still love each other. This is a family that still loves each other and supports each other. And they've, they've opened up their home a little bit. They've got, you see they've got a little bit of space in between their circle. But they only open up their home for the ones that are easy to love. The ones that make them feel comfortable. The ones that mesh well with their family. And so this is what we hope that we can grow into this this next family. So if you could just turn around. Drop your hands and just turn around and stay in a circle. And just open your hands. This is where we hope that you guys can be. And where we are still not completely there. But... Just, we want to be open-handed. We still love and we have each other's back. We love our families. We support our families. But because we're facing outward, now we can actually see the needs that are around us. And we can do something about it. And we're open-handed. We're not holding our family so tightly that we can't listen to the Lord when he asks us to do something. And it's not going to be easy. But because we're open-handed, it's like, Mm. okay, God, like, what do you want for our family? So to go back to the question, like, how does this affect our biological family? It just, it points them to Jesus. Because we're facing outward, we're able to teach Beckett that life is not about our family. Hmm. It's about other people and how can we serve them and how can we help them. So thank you. 
Thank you, guys. Hey, guys, real quick, if y'all would, uh, team, y'all stay up on stage. Y'all come up around here, right here, real quick. Um, you know, in order for Pleasant City Church to really see this as more than just an event that we do, but a change in our culture, uh, one more, one less, we've partnered with them to put together a team for our church. And I just kind of want to go through what these guys represent. This is our Pleasant City Church team. And I'm going to start down there on the end. This is Chris Gray on the end. He actually works full-time with One More, One Less, but he is our project director for our church. Uh, He's the one that's going to be kind of leading our team out in that. This is Daryl and Connie Allen. They're They're our prayer leaders for our prayer team that Jeff's going to talk about here in just a minute. Uh, This is Haley Green. Uh, You guys probably know Haley and Wes's story. If you don't, maybe you've been visiting our worship pastor, Wesley, and his wife, Haley. Uh, All three of their children were foster care, and uh, they've all been adopted as well. And so we're excited to have her. She's going to be in charge of our community care. She's our community care director. And then this is Daniel Nichols. Uh, Daniel's usually the guy in the back helping us with our media and sound for the band. And uh, he is going to be our guardian ad litem foster care director uh, as far as that goes. And uh, really, you're already doing some of that, Daniel. You work with guardian ad litem already. Uh, but this is our team, and uh, we just wanna, wanted to show you a visual representation of who it is that from our church that's going to be leading the way in these teams and really showing you how you can get plugged in wherever you're at in, in life. And so uh, let's give these guys a hand. Thank you guys so much for coming up. Amen. Thank you guys so much. C.S. Lewis said, the more often we feel without acting, the less we will be able to ever act. And in the long run, the less we will be able to feel as well. Let me read that again. The more often we feel without acting, the less we will be able to ever act. And in the long run, the less we will be able to feel. So if you guys would, just everybody has a card in front of them. It's on the seat If you guys, it looks like this on the front and on the back, it looks like this. If every single person in this room right now at this gathering would go ahead and pull out that card. And I want you to just be be praying over it because my wife and I, this um, this is our lives that you're holding. This is what God's called us to in this season of our life. We've been involved in vocational ministry for the last 13 years of our life and we've stepped away because there's a serious need across the state of North Carolina for kids to be moved close with Christian families. And if it's not the church, then it's not going to be anybody. There's 11,000 kids in foster care in North Carolina alone. And there's only 6,000 foster parents. In Cleveland County alone, there's 190 children that are in foster care. And there's only 69 foster families that are active. And as I said before, there's 11 children currently waiting to be adopted by a family that don't have anywhere to go. They're in a group home. And so as you turn over this card and as you pray over James 127, I I can be bold because it's not my words, but we want you to be obedient to James 127. Pure and undefiled religion is this, to look after the orphan and the widow in their distress. 
And I'm a fool to think out of a group this size that every single person is gonna be a foster parent. But I'm not a fool that I think everybody in this room can be obedient. And on the back of this card, we've given every single person in here an opportunity to be obedient, to look after the orphan in their distress. And so this first, this first line on the back of your card says monthly prayer group. We have a prayer director at One More, One Less Project, and you guys have prayer leaders here at Pleasant City Church that are gonna be interfacing, that are gonna be talking, and that are gonna be leading you guys in very specific prayers to the foster care system. There's gonna be biological parents that are prayed for. There's gonna be foster children that are prayed for. There's gonna be foster parents that are prayed for. If you feel led to check that box, please don't take that lightly because we're gonna ask that you show up to pray, to intercede for these kids on their behalf. The second and third ones are monetary donations. If you would like to be a part of One More, One Less project in the foster care world by that, we would absolutely be honored if you would partner with us in that way. We're a totally privately funded organization that is going around to churches just like Pleasant City across the state of North Carolina and seeking to mobilize the church into foster care. We need Christian homes. This fourth one is the biggest ask. And I added Romans 8, 18 on there because this temporary pain and discomfort that you are going to experience when you foster and adopt, oh, it's nothing compared to the glory that awaits you in eternity. John Newton, the famous pastor, gave an illustration he said, what if, man, uh, what if a man had a large inheritance and was headed towards New York to claim that inheritance, his big mansion that his parents had left him, and when he's a mile away, his buggy breaks down? Oh, what we would think of that man if he were to grovel and complain and, and, and just continuously complain that entire mile journey he was on his way to get his inheritance. That mile is our 80 years here on earth. That we're going to spend eternity, eternity. Anybody know how long eternity is? Because I don't. We're going to get to spend eternity with our maker who's going to prepare a place for us. So if you want to become a foster parent, please check that box. This card is not committing you to becoming a foster parent. What it's saying is we want to be, in, we're interested in that. And in a church this size, we're praying that there are foster parents that step into this. That say, hey, we have a heart that runs to that. Maybe you're 50, 55, and you say, hey, I could take in a 15-year-old that I would have in my house for three years, that I would try to train and equip, that could be an heir of what I have. And then this fifth, fifth box is becoming a guardian ad litem volunteer. And Mandy alluded this to a, a little bit, but what this person does is they go to biological families and they also go to foster families and they see how the child is doing. They are the voice for the child in the courtroom when it's judgment day and the judge says, hey, where does this child best belong? I always tell people this is the greatest opportunity to be an evangelist in this foster care journey because you're interfacing with both the biological parents and the foster parents. 
And then the last one is volunteering through community care. And this community care is oh so important. I always tell people that if you have the gift of hospitality, you can be involved in foster care through community care. You're gonna be providing meals to these families that take in foster kids who when they get the phone call at five o'clock in the afternoon and they say, hey, we've got a two-year-old that we need to come get, we need you to come get, and they have absolutely nothing for a two-year-old, that community care wraps around and makes that transition as easy as it can with clothes, with food, with immediate needs that that child might need. And so those are the different ways that we have seen that people can be involved in foster care and adoption. And so I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to ask you to pray over this. That you would be challenged and that you would be encouraged to dive into foster care in some way. And Jonathan's going to give us some more instructions after the worship song. Father God, I thank you so much for each individual at Pleasant City Church. I thank you for the lives that they represent, for the past that they represent, for the future that they represent, for the circle of influence that they represent, for, for, for many in here that I see and that I know have already moved close to foster care and adoption. And that's their heart's cry. Maybe it's their grandparent. Maybe it's that they're a, a babysitter, but they love the least of these. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you that you adopted me, that you made me a son and a daughter of the Most High, and that now I am an heir to the throne of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's in your precious and perfect name we pray. Amen. you would stand. Let's sing together. You are way make miracle work, promise to keep light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are way make miracle work, promise to keep Light in the darkness.